Hello and welcome to Black, Brown, and Bilingue, where our mission is to unite the black and brown communities through education, storytelling, and community engagement. The vision of Black, Brown, and Bilingue is to be part of creating a world in which Black and Brown identities are affirmed, bilingualism and biculturalism are nurtured, and equity is the driving force behind all that we do. Thank you for joining us again today. I am Lisette Jacobson, and I am one of your hosts. And I'm Maurice McDavid. I'm your other host. Well, 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 welcome to season two, episode one of Black, Brown, and Bilingua. Maurice, can you even believe it? Can Don't you- call it a comeback. <laughs> We've been here for almost a year. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I can't even believe it. Um, when we first started this podcast, you know, we had such, we were so nervous. We had such a mix of emotions going into it, but we knew this is what we wanted to do. And to be here, 15 episodes in season one, ready to go off with season two. How you doing? You know what? I am tremendously blessed. I was thinking about some of the responses that we have gotten. Um, I've, I've talked with people as of late who are excited to hear that we were doing a season two. I think some of the incredible people that we've had a chance to meet and talk with and, and hear um, what drives them and, and their heartbeat, man, it's, it's a beautiful thing. So I look forward to uh, this next season and um, what uh, will be in, in the future, even beyond that. Yeah, no doubt. You know, I have also been just blown away by the outpouring of love and support that that people have shown us. Um, Quick story, I have been able to connect with people um, on a very personal level. You know, I I did connect with someone who listened to the uh, mental health episode. And after hearing our episode, Um, They were comfortable in talking about their own mental health and, you know, reached out to me to ask about, you know, how do I begin looking for a therapist? How do, you know, just how do I start the process, things like that. And so it's just been a reminder of what this can do, what this podcast can do. And I'm excited for season two. And, you know, and there's so much more that we we had our first ever PD that was yeah. super dope. Yeah. The language of success. Yeah, that was that was uh, it was just a great opportunity to connect with colleagues uh, across the, the um, nation and even internationally. Um, had some folks from outside of the country attend. And um, we look forward to doing that again. So definitely be on the lookout for that. You know, I think. I think as excited as I am, Lisette, about all that we have already accomplished, I am sincere when I say I think that there's so much more um, that that we have yet to see. Um, and so it's going to be a very exciting. In fact, uh, to our listeners, if you're listening right now, I would really, really, really appreciate it. We would really appreciate you sharing 
this with somebody. I'm excited uh, in particular about today's topic that we're going to, to hit, uh, but share this with somebody, tell somebody, hey, if you're looking for something to listen to on, on that drive home or to work, um, definitely Black, Brown, and Bilingue is, is, is that lick, and um, you know, go ahead and show some love. <laughs> Uh, uh, you know, give give some support um, because I think um, there there are even more stories like the one that you just shared, which is powerful. I think there's more of those stories uh, to be told um, mm-hmm. with what we're doing here. So absolutely, and so like you said, there's still so much more that we've got planned, and as we climb over to the other side of this pandemic, you know. I think that this will allow us to branch out and do even more things that we've wanted to do. So why don't you go ahead and tell them about today's topic? So today, ladies and gentlemen, and other identifying peoples, uh, we are going to um, engage in this uh, conversation that I think has really kind of been bouncing back and forth between Lissette and I, Honestly, it probably has been heightened since um, starting to hear ourselves recorded um, and, and having other people hear us recorded um, and, and some of the commentary about um, this idea that I sound like Barack Obama. Now, you got to hit him with the impression. Come on. OK, I, look, look, look. Uh, today, uh, I, uh, <laughs> I, I believe that uh, we are going to engage in an important, uh, crucial uh, conversation uh, that I believe is uh, is going to be paramount in uh, seeing our nation continue to grow, uh, and and if you are wondering if we are able to engage in this conversation, yes, we can. Um, uh, okay, so so the conversation is on this. It is on exceptionalism, mm-hmm. and um, you know I think it's important that we kind of acknowledge we're not talking just about uh, or we're not talking about American exceptionalism. Um, and imperialism, that type of conversation, although that plays a role. Mm. We're talking about exceptionalism when it comes to how people view me, uh, how people view Lisette, this idea of, of, um, of me being not like other Black men. And Lisette, you're, yeah, I get it, you're Mexican, but you're not like other Mexicans. Right. My mom is there any connection? Tell us a story. <laughs> oh, actually, you know what? I want to go ahead and um, t- listen. Uh, pause. I want to go ahead and tell the listeners how this um, topic came about. You know, I've known you for quite some time now, Maurice, and I see the way that people interact with you. And some of the response, and, and you're a good dude. You're a great guy. I, I feel like I'm biased because you're my friend um, and you're a great person. However, I have seen the, and, that, and it has crossed my mind um, when people interact and look at you, they're almost in awe. I remember the first time, because, you know, this is where your intersectionality comes in, right? You are assistant pastor at your church. And I remember the first time I swore, like it, it slipped out. Do you remember what I did? You probably apologize. Like, that's what most people do. I don't, I don't know. I covered my mouth and was like, oh, my bad. 
right? So there's, I think there's that piece, right? You're, you're a Christian man and you definitely live and try to be as Christ-like as possible. I've seen it. So, but I, I also think that your race contributes to that idea of like tokenism and exceptionalism. And when people see you and interact with you, it's almost like they're in awe. And I've often wondered, do they really like Maurice for, for who he is? Or do they like themselves more for liking you? It's like whatever uh, biases they may have had or if they've ever been called out for racism, are you the person that they point to to counter that? And I've wondered that's often, and it's, and it's gotta be challenging because I've thought about that with me too. And, but, but I, I see it in particular with you being a black male in education, you're hardworking, you're the, you know, what's that favorite word, articulate person that you are. And I, I've wondered that, you know, a lot. And how, how do you feel what, as you hear me say that? And what are your thoughts on that? It definitely is something that has crossed my mind. I like to sincerely believe that because I attempt to live my life uh, based on, on, on principles, um, you know, in, in my case, the, the, I try to live my life based on Christ principles. Um, and, and so I like to believe that, that really there is something to be said about just me uh, as an individual. However, I'm, I'm very, very aware, um, as I have often been the only black male in a lot of spaces, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm very much so aware that, that there is a that there is a, a burden sometimes of like needing to speak for and represent um, all, all black people. And yet, um, you know, I can think back to moments in my life, uh, senior in high school, getting a ride home from uh, a, a young man who I was on the wrestling team with, um, two, two young men who were both seniors um, and um, one who I still stay in touch with. He, uh, regularly um, is is arguing with me um, over politics or, or whatever it may be, but they said, um, "You are the only black person that I that I like." Um, and I thought that's a really powerful statement. And 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 the answer was, well, because you're not like other black people. And I'll, I'll be honest with you: see, by the time senior year came around, I was really coming into. Um, the beginning of, of, of black consciousness. I, I don't know that I necessarily had it prior to that, but um, I was like, you know, when you say that, right, you saying you don't like my mama, <laughs> mm. you don't like my aunties, you don't like my cousins. Mm -hmm. So, so as much as you may think that somehow you are lifting me higher when you say that I'm the only black person that you like, you're actually downgrading people that are very important to me. Mm -hmm. And so I just thought, um, first off, how ignorant that was. 
Um, I thought, you know, I've thought about how frustrating that 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 is. Um, but but I do, can you keep it real? Can you keep it real like we do on, on Black, Brown, and Bilingway? Have you noticed what I'm talking about? Where it's almost like, thank you, Maurice, for, you know, you can share a comment and people will be like, thank you, Maurice, for breathing. <laughs> <laughs> I, now, see, I know you always say that. And I, I, I feel I feel a little bit of hateration going on. No, but, oh, my goodness, Maurice. On the flip side, hold on, hold on, because look, on the flip side, I think about that moment, let's say, I remember when we're in our master's program and like one of our professors starts crying mm-hmm. because of something that I said. And, I, and again, you mentioned it, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a preacher. And so I think the way that I, the way that I speak there, I hope there's some power to it, right? I don't want to just get up and, and speak on a Sunday morning and, and not have any power to it. And so I get that, but I think that absolutely there is something to be said about the fact that like, you know, had a middle-aged white man said the same thing I said, I don't know that the response would have been as, as you know, heartfelt. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so absolutely, there is a little bit of... You know, and, and I think I say that because I know you, right? And we're friends. And so I know, and I can definitely speak to, you know, your character and you're a good person. But it's like when people don't even really know you, those, those are the interactions that are, I'm talking about. And even though you may be in the space, kind of like with that, that friend that told you, you know, you're the only black person he likes. I remember an instance when um, a colleague told me, and this is someone who maybe thought she knew me very well, but she called me the whitest Mexican she's ever met and that I wasn't like one of those Mexicans. And I remember thinking like, wow, you really don't know who I truly am because I get down (laughs) with, you know, my culture. And not only that, but there's so much to me, that intersectionality again. Um, And just in the way that I grew up in the community that I grew up in Waukegan, extremely diverse. So there's a lot of layers. I can interact with many people. And, um, you know, I just remember being really taken aback, like, wow, you really must not know me. And you're only viewing me through your white lens. So so let's talk about that, Lissette. I think um, that there is there is certainly an image. Right. Um, And unfortunately, oftentimes it is a it's a singular image. It is a monolith. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember, you know, engaging in this conversation somewhat because um, uh, President Biden during the campaign said, you know, um, unlike black people, you know, the Latino community and, and that might not have been the exact quote, but it was something like that. Right. Unlike black people, the Latino community really is 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 diverse, you know, has a lot of different, um, uh, you know, backgrounds. And yet I think when she said that to you, there was almost kind of this idea that there was this singular image of what it meant to be Mexican. And because you didn't fit into that, um, then, then you were actually white as opposed to Mexican. Can you talk a little bit more about that? What, what do you think, or what do you think she really meant by that? What was she trying to get at? You know, I'm a little reluctant to, I don't want to put her out on front street. <laughs> just in case she listens, but 
Um, you know, we were both educators in a bilingual program. And I think the conversation was about connecting with our students because she was teaching mostly Mexican-American or Mexican students. And we were talking about ways in which we can connect um, with our students. And, you know, I brought up some things that just culturally being a Mexican-American myself, being a Chicana, you know, some things that we could incorporate into our instruction. And that's when that comment was made. And, you know, at that time, I was kind of just shocked and kind of like you, I don't think that I was fully in my, you know, Chicana consciousness. <laughs> I wasn't fully aware of that. Um, but I think it was trying to, I think, undermine me or I think it was a dig for lack of a better word. I think she was trying to discredit me. And, and unfortunately, that is something that happens often in um, primarily white spaces, especially when you're talking about educating, you know, brown, black and brown students. If you happen to be, you know, the, the same background as your students, white educators feel some type of way about it. Like you've got one over them and maybe it bothered her. I, I don't know, but. You know, that was the context of the conversation. And it, and it definitely looking back, you know, she was trying to undermine that. That is so interesting because I, I think like, man, I think about like being, you know, particularly in my, in my time as Dean of Students, um, where um, for a majority of my time there, I was the only certified uh, uh, a black staff member in the building. And, um, and my ability to connect with students culturally was called out as me being soft on black kids. Um, I was called out on, on, you know, this idea that I'd be in the hallway being loud with the kids, <laughs> you know, um, I, there, there was so much, um, so much to that, that, that identity piece. Um, and in fact, I remember multiple times, you know, people saying, well, you know, I can teach these kids too. Um, and, and yeah, I hope so. Look, I'm the only person in the building. I, I hope you can <laughs> teach these kids. I, I, you certainly can't expect me to go around and teach all of these children. That's not my job. I want to try to prepare you and help you to do that. Um, but, but I, I think that there is something perhaps that feels uncomfortable, right? When, when you or I walk into a room with students that look like us, there is a connection um, that, that happens, period, point blank. Yeah, and you know what's so crazy? You know, looking back at that conversation, I was trying to elevate her status in the classroom. I was trying to build her up and say, you know, because there is also, in fairness to her and other white educators who tr uh, teach black and brown children, and she is a phenomenal educator. Um, but, you know, there's also something to be said about brown students seeing a white teacher trying to learn their culture and their language. And I'm sure you've experienced that with your Latino students too, that there's this like appreciation, you know, for, 
for the fact that you are embracing the language and the culture. So I was trying to elevate her. And so it was just so crazy to me that she hit me back with that. Like it just, it is, you know, it made me think of how many other people, made me wonder how many other people have perhaps gone through similar experiences. Um, What do you think it does for you, Maurice, when you hear those things about you not being like other black folks? I think one of the things that it's done uh, is it actually has challenged me to check my own thinking. Do I believe that I am exceptional? And I do Will believe you? that I'm excellent. <laughs> right? Ain't, ain't no shame in my game. I believe that I am an anointed child of God and that has produced excellence. However, when I'm sitting around the table, I'll, I'll give you an example. I'm, I'm a member of an organization called Black, which stands for Black Liberated Leadership and Community Kinship. It's an organization formed right here in, in Ekel. Um, and I sat at the table and I called us out because everybody in the room was college educated. Everybody in the room had, had you know, quote unquote, professional status. And I said, how can we talk about the black community in DeKalb when, when we only have one portion of the black community in DeKalb represented? Mm-hmm. And, and so I think one of the things when I hear those things is, is I, it makes me question myself and say, do I really think of myself because I wear this shirt and tie every day that all of a sudden I'm somehow above maybe a father who walks into uh, my school building in Jordans and, and, and athletic pants, right? Mm-hmm. You know, that is something I will say that I'm extremely conscious of. And um, I think there's a time and place and context is everything, but even in my interactions with some of the parents in my building, um, the Spanish that I speak, you know, there's the academic Spanish and then there's just the day-to-day conversational Spanish. And I do tend to, you know, lean on that conversational piece. And it's not making assumptions on like the education status of our um, parents but I want to build that connection. I want to build that bond because it, it is, you know, typically when we get into this work, we always leave or not always, but frequently leave the very people that we are discussing out of the conversation. And so that is something that grinds my gears. It irritates my soul. It's, it's very frustrating for me because we sit in rooms with our degrees and our ties and our nice clothes and make decisions without the very people present that this is going to be impacting. And that's a problem. That is a huge, huge problem. And so um, I appreciate you calling that out. And ultimately, right, we wanna show the wholeness of a person. I think when we think of someone as exceptional, we're not seeing them you know, in their entirety. Yes, I can put on a nice outfit and talk academics and research with you, but I also like to kick back and, you know, engage and speak Spanglish and 
you know, have a good time. And, and both are part of me. And so what you're seeing is not the wholeness of the person. And, and I think that's important because that's, I think, how we fight against these stereotypes. Here I am getting degrees and elevating myself, thinking that I'm elevating the status of my people, when really I'm elevating the status of Lisette and becoming the exception to the stereotype. And that's hard. I want to take that a step further and really talk about how absolutely dangerous it is. Mm -hmm. I was reading recently um, about Mike Brown. And when Mike Brown was, was, was murdered in Missouri some years back, there were two storylines that came out about Mike Brown. And you'll, you'll see it happen over and over again. It happened with Trayvon Martin. It happened with, with Breonna Taylor. The two storylines are this. One is Mike Brown was leaving for college in just a couple of days. The other is Mike Brown smoked weed and tried to steal something at a gas station. Mm-hmm. And what is happening in those storylines on either side is somehow we are attempting to add more value to this human life. Mike Brown was going to college, says he was exceptional. And as an exceptional black life, it mattered more. Mm -hmm. Mike Brown smoked weed and tried to steal something. See, he's just one of those black criminals. Mm -hmm. And as such, his life mattered less. And on either side of the argument, we have attempted to to add value to human life instead of seeing human life for what it is. Exactly. That's exactly human life. it. That's exactly it, Maurice. I agree. And, and so I just I, I sat and I, I thought if I was shot and killed by the police. The world's response would be. Look at this. He had a master's degree. He was a principal and a pastor. And somehow my life has more value than my younger brother who does not have a degree and, and has had a, 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 has a, 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 a record from where he made some mistakes as a young man. He's a father. I'm a father. He's a brother. I'm a brother. And it, it really is sincerely heartbreaking mm-hmm. to think that this idea of black exceptionalism, when really pushed all the way up, somehow tells you that my life is more valuable than my brother's life. I do not believe that. Wow. It's a lie. Mm-hmm. And so that really is one of the dangers of uh, when you push that out, right? Mm-hmm. That, that somehow... You know, um, one life, I guess, is worth more than the other because of this, quote unquote, exceptionalism. Mm-hmm. Well, and then it's hard, right? Like you talked earlier about that burden. And again, context is everything, everything. Obviously, you know, the way I speak and act in, you know, in a professional setting is vastly different when I'm in a, um, like, with friends. 
It just, though, is exhausting. It's exhausting on so many fronts. You know, it's not that you're not being genuine, but you there are still white norms that you are having to follow. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, we all, I think, strive to live very authentic lives. And when we feel like we are aligned to our purpose, that's when we feel the most authentic and we can be ourselves. That is the most fulfilling. So again, there's that piece. And then finally, you're a representation of your entire race or ethnic group, especially if you're the only, especially like right now, I feel incredibly blessed that I am not, that that's not the case for me, but I'm also very aware that this is atypical. You know, my building, my staff is largely Latino. My students are, my family. So I feel very, very blessed and fulfilled and I can be my authentic self. But I've also been in spaces where that wasn't the case and I, it is exhausting. And it is something that I didn't really realize until I got into the place that I am now. And that's why I think I love it so much because I can be my authentic self. Lissette, can I ask, you know, we, we, we kind of got to it a little bit earlier um, and kind of our own reflection of it, but, but in your experience, have you found that this idea um, that there's this singular image of what it means to be Latino or what it means to be more specifically uh, Chicana or what it means to be black or more specifically a black male, right? Have you found that that idea um, exists also even inside of that community? You know, so have, have you had those interactions with other Chicanas that are like, oh, but you're uppity, right? Or you're, you know. Um, I've had both. I've had both. <laughs> so unfortunately, again, family can be the worst. You got to love them. But sometimes they can just, you know, they can be tough. And so I have I have gotten that whole like you think you're better than us. Don't forget where you came from. At the end of the day, you're still Mexican. And it's like, I'm just being me, you know, I'm not trying to be anything other than myself. But I, I think I probably have gotten the opposite. I've gotten like, wow, girl, you're crazy. You're actually doing that. Or, or like my boldness. People have commented on that, like on the fact that I'm not afraid to, you know, down to my lipstick. I've had people say, you've inspired me to be comfortable in wearing my red lipstick and hope earrings. You've inspired me to be myself. Or sometimes they're like, all right, tone it down. We're, we're in a professional setting. Um, so I'm almost gotten the opposite of like, because I'm always up, up against that. Like I always want to be myself. And so, um, but I have gotten it from my family, like you're, you're being too uppity. So, you know, I can't win. So I'm just going to be me. <laughs> what about you? You know, we, we, we joked at the beginning of this uh, about the Obama piece, but I had a cousin, um, had a cousin tell me, you know, boy, you sound like, you know, Barack Obama. And it was, it was definitely meant as a, in that 
particular moment, it was meant as like a, a diss, you know, like mm -hmm. you don't sound like you are black. Mm -hmm. um, and and I've thought. See, Rock um, sounds black to me. That's interesting. I tend to agree with you. I, I do think that he sounds black, but I think that he does not sound like the monolith of blackness, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right? He, he, he does not sound when, if somebody was to say, and again, I'm going to use this word, um, meaning no offense to anybody. I did have somebody tell me that it was an offensive word. Somebody says Ebonics, meaning right. Or, or what is oftentimes academically referred to as academic, or I'm sorry, African-American vernacular English, um, you don't think of Obama when you think of AAVE or, or Ebonics, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so, again, I think that speaks to that idea that, like, there is this, this one definition of, of Blackness, mm -hmm. right? And so to be Black, you have to have, um, you know, fit into all of these different stereotypes, which I will not honor by naming here, right? But I, I think... One of those stereotypes uh, that, that is particularly interesting is that you have to have experienced oppression. And, and I think that there are times where people see me and where I am today and want to say, well, you know, look, things have gone well for you. So how can you talk about black people being oppressed? And, and again, recognizing that like um, those things still I, I, they still happen. They still exist. My shirt and tie does not stop me from being black in this world. Um, and so I think that there are times where even inside of the community, there's been, yeah, right, but you don't have to deal with that. Mm -hmm. And so I, I, I've, you know, I've, where think, I've, okay, I've, but, but where do you think that comes from? Right. Is it, you know, I, I remember my sister telling me like, Oh, you think you're white now? <laughs> at the time I was very upset when she said that but now I almost feel sorry for her because not as like a pity but like she also has bought into white supremacist thinking you know right she has bought into the idea that to do things a certain way or the correct way is associated with white and doing anything wrong quote unquote oh oh and then the other one too like to do it the ghetto way that just kills me that just <laughs> kills me but it, that is associated with something else wow how do you like where did this come from how do you think this came about i know that that you're a history teacher and I, I there just has to be something in our history where we point to that american exceptionalism that you referred to earlier and, you know, how that was used to um, allow America to be the imperialistic nation that it is. Yeah, the the I think there's there's so many places where where we can can point to it um, and where it, it still exists uh, today. The the imagery, um, I think you know, in, in, in the 20s was 
was in soap commercials, right? Where you had a black child and then they used this soap and they became a white child, right? That, that blackness was, was dirty. Um, you, you had, uh, you know, I think in, in the 1950s, then you, you get to this um, imagery of, of black people as the, the doorman at the hotel, but never staying at the hotel. Right. And and then you get to the 80s and you have uh, really the kind of this 70s and 80s, this this evolution of this image as as the the uh, black male in particular as this um, drug dealer and the black woman as a drug addict. Um, and, and you get to that welfare queen imagery and you get to the 1990s where the Democratic Party, mind you, Right. Uh, and Hillary Clinton comes along and says these are super criminals. Black and Latino uh, teenage boys are super criminals. And then all of a sudden. You get music that comes along and is writing from that level of consciousness. And, and almost takes that imagery. And, and if you want to sell, you're going to have this particular image. Um, and so, again, I remember growing up and I've mentioned it in earlier episodes when I was growing up, I wanted to be West Coast Connection, <laughs> Ice Cube, you know, I had the creases in the pants. I had the flannel on. Did you really? I, I, hey, I'm telling you. Hey, you I was, lying. You had the creases in the flannel. <laughs> <laughs> I can't. Top button yeah. swag only. Top button swag only with the white tee underneath. Right, so, so this imagery literally um, was perpetuated through pop culture, but watch this. It was perpetuated in schools. When we talk about the, the, the conversation of the um, academic performance gaps, the fact that I got such and such on the ACT, I was told made me exceptional because normal black People were getting this on the ACT. I was not told that the ACT itself was part of the problem. <laughs> Absolutely. That the SAT itself was developed by a man who was a eugenist, right? I wasn't told that. I was told that I was exceptional. Look, somehow you managed to get scores that were comparative to these white people. And so now you are exceptional. Yeah. Just, you know, just to stop you there, though, that is something that still upsets me is the idea of the achievement gap. Yeah. Talk the, about that. The achievement gap that bothers me because that is legitimizing the white norms. These norms are based off of white constructs. The way we measure them is inherently biased. And, and again, Lisette, you and I, we talked about this as part of, of as part of that professional development, right? Um, and we referenced the work of Zaretta Hammonds um, and some of her conversation on individualism versus as, collectivism, right? Uh, as opposed to collectivism, and the idea that to sit down and take a test by yourself is very individualistic. Mm -hmm. It's very seventeen hundreds. European colleges, mm -hmm. as opposed to cultures that are more collectivist, right? 
And I get it. I believe individuals need to read. They need to know how to read. They need to know how to do math. Absolutely. However, the truth is, is that even our, our reality, our modern reality, economically speaking, is that a majority of what we do is collaborative. <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying? And yet we maintain some of these incredible uh, 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 individualistic standards. Um, so yeah, I, I, that, that achievement gap, e- even that helps to perpetuate this idea that because you and I, uh, you know, maybe tested such and such on, on, on this standardized test, Mm-hmm. that we are exceptional. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's, there's, there's a danger. Again, there's a danger to it. Yeah, you know, I want to just say thank you because you've stretched my thinking today just in this conversation. When I thought about how exceptionalism was problematic, um, I only thought of it as... Um, from the from the standpoint of if some you know like my colleague said you're not one of those mexicans but the point that you made earlier about we try to add value to people and you gave the examples of mike brown and um, trayvon martin and brianna taylor that is absolutely heartbreaking and i had never thought about exceptionalism in that way, because you you too, you know, I went to college, I have degrees, my little sister does not, she engages in some things that I don't necessarily agree with. But if something were to happen to her, I would hate for the rhetoric around that to be negative because of one, being a Latina and too, because of the choices she's made, when really human life is human life. And, you know, this is this is actually really, really problematic, more so than when I sat down to record this episode, like I hadn't realized that. So thank you for stretching my own thinking. I think this is why I love this podcast, because hopefully the listeners walk away with something. But I think for us, this has been um, a growing experience. No, I agree 100%. I, I really appreciate um, the idea that this exceptionalism um, happens within our communities, it happens outside of our communities, and that also, I think this is one piece that maybe we, we haven't uh, necessarily touched on, but, but I, I think is an important uh, addition to the conversation, and that is that then exceptionalism, right? If, if whiteness is defined as the standard and you are white and you fail, right? Um, un- just understanding that this argument of exceptionalism does not stop in the black and brown communities. If, if, if you are white and you uh, applied for the same job as me and I got that job and you're supposed to be by nature, exceptional, right? Um, there, there is there is psychological harm connected to exceptionalism for everybody involved, mm. and and so I, I do want to just point that out. I think, um, you know, again, I can think back to a former colleague 
who, when, when he did not receive a job and instead a black woman was hired um, for a position that he was going for, he said, man, it's a bad time in America mm. to be a white male. Mm-hmm. As opposed to saying, what did I, what do I not have? What do I, you know, because all of a sudden his assumption was right. She got it because of the, there was no self-reflection. There was no, how, how do I grow? And, and again, all of these things are part right of this dangerous psyche of exception. That's exception. The, the, the more we talk about this, <laughs> Oh, I feel like I'm going to open a can of worms. Where does it stop? You know, we talk about how colorblindness is bad. Uh, but when, when I hear you talk about a human life is a human life and that isn't a fact, that shouldn't be a factor. Is it, you know, you know what, as, I, as I'm asking the question, it's probably just, again, context-based. Um, you know, it's all about the context. But, you know, it just seems like there are some moments I could see for a white person. <laughs> who doesn't get the job. I can see them going like, well, when is it okay to see race and when is it not okay? You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I, and I, I, I could see somebody taking the argument that I just made and say, well, then you don't get to call racism either. And, and you know, um, maybe you just didn't get the job because you didn't do enough and, and, and you need to be self-reflective. And, um, and, and I think... Uh, like you mentioned, there is some context to it. I, I'm not just making up the last 250, 300 years of, <laughs> of a system that clearly uplifted whiteness. I didn't make that up. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and so as we identify the very foundation of, of this country in particular, and then how that foundation spread throughout the world through imperialism, we know that initially white men who owned land had a say. So how do we move past it, Maurice? That's a whole nother episode, Lisa. <laughs> I, I know. That's why I said, I think I'm just going to open up a can of worms, but I, I had to ask. Um, all right. Well, you know, we've reached the end of this first episode of season two. Still sounds so exciting to me. Um, what is the one takeaway that you want our listeners to walk away with from today's episode? I want people who interact with me to know Maurice McDavid as a person and part of me as a person is the fact that I'm black. Part of me as a person is the fact that I'm a male. Part of me as a person is the fact that I grew up in a single parent household. But, but, but do not, do not think that somehow um, that defines all that I am. Um, Because again, when, when we use when we limit it to those things, that's where we get to this place of, of exceptionalism because we say, well, I have been told by 
new pop culture and, and, and the news and everything else that black men are this and he is not that. So then he's an exception. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess really what I'm what I'm trying to say is there are lots of folk out there like me now. Not exactly like me. I'm kind of a big deal. Don't get me wrong. Oh call. my goodness. Y'all, y'all see why I have to humble him down? Because he's always calling me a hater, but it's like I have to sit through. But no, let me finish. That, I have to sit through this nonsense <laughs> of hearing you call yourself a big deal. So I'm always there. You know, we all need friends like that. I have friends that call me out. You know, when I packed on a few pounds, they're like, girl, here, bitch, get away, it. relax. We all need those people. And for you, Maurice, that's me. I appreciate it. Lissette, go ahead with, with, with your, your final thought, what you want the listeners to walk away. I hope that the listeners walk away feeling a little bit more uh, emboldened to walk and live a little more authentically. It's okay. You, you, um, we can't continue to walk around with this burden of having to represent the whole group. You know, we are diverse even within an ethnic group or a racial group. And so, you know, go out there and, and it's especially, especially in professional spaces. Be authentically you, because I think when you stretch that the thinking of people that you work with, that is how I think we start to move away from this idea of exceptionalism. Start to show those sides of you that make you who you are, that make you dynamic, that make you interesting, that make you you. And I know it sounds cliche, but again, you know, have you seen those memes where you joke, where it's like the joke of like, you're unzipping your true self. Have you seen those where it's like, oh, after a long day of work and the person is unzipping and it's like a new identity underneath, you know, that is not helping the problem. So be bold, be you, just be authentic. And I think that is how we start to move away from, from this idea of, you know, you got to be this way or that, or you're an exception to the rule. Well said. Episode one, season two. It's in the books, folks. Thank you for listening so much. I'm Lisette Jacobson, one of your hosts. And I'm Maurice McDavid, your other host. Muchas gracias for tuning in. Adios.